Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's lots of free resources there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guests. We have two guests to be exact, Joe DeSena and Dr. Lara Pence. Joe is the founder and CEO of Spartan and the Death Race, the world's leading endurance sports and wellness brand with a community over 10 million strong. He is the New York Times bestselling author of three books, Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and The Spartan Way. DeSena also hosts the Spartan Up podcast, which features weekly interviews with some of the world's greatest minds in business, sports, and leadership. His mission, transforming 100 million people through the Spartan lifestyle. And then we have Dr. Laura Pence, who is just an amazing human being as well. She is a clinical psychologist and the chief mind doctor at Spartan with a career spanning more than 20 years. Dr. Pence is one of the most sought after therapists in the community, having served on the board of directors for Embody Love Movement and the Elisa Project. Her work has been featured on Good Morning America, the BBC, Glamour, Vogue, WebMD, Psychology Today, and the Huffington Post. And these two brilliant minds have a brand new book out called Mental Toughness for Families, 10 Rules for Resilience. And stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end of the conversation with Joe and Laura, I answer 
one of your burning health questions in another Ask Me Anything. So without further ado, this is Joe DeSena's and Dr. Laura Pence's Art of Being Well. Joe, Laura, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. I, you know, we brought Dr. L along because she doesn't get to do this stuff very often and we want to give her confidence. So <laughs> just a little boost, just a, just a demonstration of love. The book's amazing. I mean, you both are a wealth of information and the people are going to learn so much. And you both separately have been, Laura, I mean, I have to say this publicly on my podcast. Thank you for sticking your neck out for me when intuitive fasting came out and the eating disorder, you know, toxic tribalism out there. But I appreciate you. I told the whole team when we did case reviews, I said, this person like really was such an advocate for me through that time. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, listen, I feel like we're just moving as a society. And I mean, this is exactly why Joe and I feel so passionate about this, where it's like, we just get so stuck in like the the either or, and there can't be an and, and there can't be nuance, and there can't be like exploration of actually how things work. It's just, if we we're holding steady to ideas that just actually aren't like grounded in science. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, you know, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about your book. This book's amazing. I'm going to say mental toughness for families. So people better listen up. We're going to be talking about mental toughness for families, 10 rules for resilience. Can I read the press uh, bit here that I thought it was a good for framing this conversation? Then we'll get right into it. It says right now, parents are drowning. The pacifying, pandering and policing of children has left many moms and dads desperate for better strategies. So we're going to talk about these better strategies today. So let's get in it. What was the genesis of the book? How did it come to be? Let's start there. Joe, if you want to go. Yeah, I don't know how many years ago, maybe you remember Dr. All, but maybe three years ago, I'm a bit of a crazy person for people that don't know me, but I might've been on the phone. I seem to remember being in an airport, being on the phone with Dr. L. Oh, I know. I was asking my kids to carry kettlebells around the neighborhood. And um, a woman pulled us over and started screaming to check on the kids to see if they were okay. And I said, ma'am, um, I'm the dad. And, and she said, um, no, 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 I've, I've been seeing them walk for the last half a mile and they need water. Kids, do you need water? Who is he? Is he a coach? And I didn't really want to get an argument with her because I thought, well, in fairness to her, she hasn't, this woman hasn't seen kids on a sidewalk in probably decades. They look like wild animals, let alone carrying kettlebells. And, you know, I was at an airport, I think after that, Dr. L, you and I were talking, I probably said, hey, we should write a parenting book. Yep. I think we started right at that moment. It probably went through five or six iterations. 20. or 20 iterations. And then it was sitting kind of on a shelf Mm -hmm. and our CMO was at a dinner with somebody and they were with one of the biggest publishers in the world, Harper one and Harper one said, Oh my God, the world needs a parenting book. We can't believe that Joe was so smart to think of it right about now. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like we, like Mm -hmm. we didn't do this for the pandemic. We did this before the pandemic. So glad you noticed. And then here we are. Mm -hmm. We got a book. Mm -hmm. Love it. So let's, uh, this is a big question, but I think gets to the heart of today's conversation. Why is our parenting style as a culture failing? Well, Dr. Allen, you, you talk, but, but before you go, I, I, this morning I had a, um, a couple 
that are coaches, fitness coaches show up at my house at 5.20 in the morning. And I, I wake my kids up every morning. Everybody knows at like 5.30 and they wanted to come do a workout and show me this piece of exercise equipment they came up with. And they have a child. They have a, a 10 year old. And these are Spartans through and through. They go to Spartan races. They believe in the system. They train SGX, which is our certification program. And surprisingly, they were telling me at 5.45, 6 a.m. as my kids were working out with them in the garage that they've had such a tough time getting their child to work out, to do hard stuff. And I was, I was shocked because here we are, we believe in it in the Spartan ecosystem. We do races, like that's our whole mantra and ethos. How, how are they having a tough time? Like you, you just do it. There's no discussion. Like, how do you wake the kids up? I grab their feet and I pull them out of bed. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't understand. Like, yeah. so anyway, I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> no, I think it does. I mean, but what are we doing specifically with parenting? What's, what's so, what's going on, Dr. L? Well, from my perspective, I think, I mean, listen, we could sort of like rewind the clock and think back to various points in the last few decades where we we've, we've, We've we scared parents into sort of over parenting, right? I mean, from stranger danger to like kids' faces on milk cartons, and not that there wasn't utility for that, but I think, you know, we went from. I mean, gosh, I'm 42 now. When I was eight years old, I mean, we ran around in a neighborhood from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. and maybe checked in once, you know, at home, and we ran home to get a PB and J, and then we went back outside and. And there just wasn't any question about sort of what you did on the weekend. You just played. And I think over time, you know, again, with, with sort of different things along the way that have, have, have sort of created a sense of urgency or crisis for parents, you know, anything from, you know, stranger danger to where your child goes to college is the absolute most important thing that they need to start focusing on. And they need to start focusing on it at age seven. So we're going to get them into Montessori school and we're going to start putting the bumper sticker on our car, like the whole thing, you know, with of course the development and, you know, advancement of technology and social media and the whole thing, right? I mean, there's so many things we can point to, but I think the, the primary problem that I continue to see in my clinical practice is that parents are sort of like continuing to try to create children that are independent and free thinkers, but they're completely going about it in the opposite way. They're over-parenting, they're over-scheduling, they're sort of like overwhelming not only their child, but themselves with, with a whole bunch of, you know, so-called strategies that just aren't working. You know, I mean, we went from a time where, you know, we played a sport and, you know, that's what we did to like, now kids are playing a sport and they're doing piano and they're doing this and they're doing that. And, you know, they go to school from eight to 4 PM and then from four to 10 PM, they're in activities and there's no opportunity for the child actually to develop independent thinking, you know? So I think in a lot of ways, like parents are really trying, I mean, this isn't for lack of trying, but they're, they're, it's almost like they're, they're trying to plug the holes with the wrong mechanisms here. And I see this mm -hmm. all the time in my practice that parents will show up and they'll say, you know, we have a kid that's depressed or we have a kid that's anxious and here's everything we're doing. You know, here's the 20 strategies that we're trying to implement at home. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Let's, mm -hmm. let's like start 
super basic here. First of all, like how much sleep is your child getting, you know? So I think, I think from, from that perspective, like there's just so much overwhelm right now and the access of everything from YouTubers to blogs, to parenting articles, like there's so much, here's what you need to do. Um, and so parents really are feeling incredibly overwhelmed with, okay, I need to be doing this and this and that and this. But from my perspective, many of those things are actually not the right strategies to grow mm-hmm. a resilient and you know self-reliant child. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I jump in on that? I, there, was, sure. there was an article, I, I got to get it from Susan, my assistant, Dr. L, who you know, there was an article in the last four or five days from somebody that, that grew up in China and their kids now came to a New Jersey school. And the kid apparently is like, I got nothing to do on the weekend. I'm used to doing a lot more homework. I'm used to doing a lot more. Like, this is a joke. And, and I guess I didn't read the article, but I guess the narrative was basically like, like Americans are soft. Like the Chinese kids are saying Americans are soft. Now, I know there's not a lot of creativity, or at least in the past, there was an argument that there's not a lot of creativity, to your point, Dr. L, in a place where they're doing the piano like crazy in China, and they're, and they're studying around the clock. And I lived in Asia, so it is, it is on. I wonder, my question for you two, I, I wonder if all the space that you would normally have is just being filled with devices, Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's part of the problem. And I, I mean, I definitely think, you know, that, I mean, even listen, I moved to Colorado two and a half years ago from Dallas and we specifically moved here because I wanted my children to grow up in a neighborhood where they could do exactly what I did. They could go outside from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., maybe come home and grab a PB&J and run back outside. And during the pandemic, and, and that's what we did. We can't, we, we literally live in a neighborhood where that exists. So for all parents who are listening and they're like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. No, it absolutely does. You just have to find the right spot. However, I will say during the pandemic, when everybody was more stuck inside than they were used to, I'm sure that parents threw devices up for their children. And, you know, it became, it became the nanny. The iPad became the nanny when parents did have to work or did have to sit at the table or whatnot. But I've found since then, since, you know, we've now been able to get back outside and do more things and kind of integrate that slowly kids are coming out. And, and because I think parents got very used to the iPad and the iPhone and, you know, the TV being the nanny and Jonah, you and I talk about this all the time. It's more difficult to get your child outside than it is to just be like, okay, fine. Just watch the iPad for an hour. Right. It's just Mm -hmm. more difficult. And so I think Mm -hmm. that especially in the last year and a half or, you know, two years, however, this long, this pandemic is going on, it feels like 18, but I think parents are feeling overwhelmed. I think that they are feeling like, you know, concerned for their children. And so they're in many of them are picking sort of that easy route of like, okay, well, I mean, I'm not Mm going to fight with my kid about it for an hour. So just watch the iPad for an hour, you know, and we see this Mm -hmm. all the time. And Joe and I talk about choosing your hard. And I think, you know, my husband and I had a conversation the other day about it is really, really, really difficult to parent with resilience in mind. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to, for example, have your 10-year-old mow the lawn and watch them go back and forth and not hit that one patch of grass that you know you could do in three minutes. And it takes them (laughs) 43 minutes. But you have to sit there and you have to grin and bear it and you have to, Mm -hmm. you know, direct them and guide them. But at the end of the day, I think too many parents are like, you know what, I got it. I'll just do it. And that's where I think we're getting into trouble. 
Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really, really simple. With so many stressors in our life, it's difficult sometimes to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it actually needs to thrive. Our busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, work stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutritional areas. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category leading superfood product, bringing you comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research, knowing what to do, and taking a bunch of pills and capsules is hard on the stomach and can be hard to keep up with. To help each of us be our very best, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you one thing with all the best things. I love this so much. I've been taking it for a long time. It's just so nutrient dense. Just one tasty scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, a probiotic, a green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. The special blend of high quality bioavailable ingredients in a scoop of AG1 work together synergistically to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, supporting your energy and focus, aiding with your gut health and digestion, and supporting a healthy immune system, effectively replacing multiple products or pills with one healthy, delicious drink. Love this stuff, and I know you will too. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D. What the heck? You have to get in on this. And five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash willcole today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash willcole to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Electrolyte deficiencies or electrolyte imbalances can cause symptoms like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and muscle weakness. Electrolytes also play a critical role in many other health conditions and serve many other far-reaching functions in the body. People that I see when I'm consulting them that have POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, they get dizzy very easily and brain and mental health, they need support there. Breastfeeding, people that are breastfeeding, regulating appetite and curbing cravings, all things that I see on an hourly basis consulting patients Electrolytes play a pivotal role in helping all these issues and so many other health issues. So basically, we all need electrolytes. If you didn't know, now you know. But the problem is so many electrolyte drinks out there are full of junk, artificial sweeteners or sugar, artificial dyes, just stuff you don't need. So you need the electrolytes, but you don't need all the other junk. And that's why I love Element. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. I drink Element every day when I'm consulting patients. I get a big mason jar and I'm sipping on a big glass of water with Element in it. The raspberry is my favorite flavor for sure. So good. Uh, and it boosts my brain function, increasing my energy. My workouts are better. I'm sleeping better at night. I don't have any leg cramps at night or after I work out. It's so 
good. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours at drinkelement.com. That's drinklmnt.com slash art of being well. Again, drinklmnt.com slash art of being well. At this time of recording this, my son is 15, my daughter is 12. I have seen this way before the pandemic yeah. too. I think like you're saying, the pandemic made all of this exacerbated tremendously, exponentially as far as technology and parents having to you know, use technology to, to nanny their kids. But I saw it before and I... By no means am I Amish, but I'm just taking it back maybe to the early 2000s in the sense of my kids don't have social media. They don't have cell phones. They don't have all this stuff. But I'll tell you what, like we are weird. I mean, by all, like they're the only kids in our friend group where they don't have all the things, let alone it started happening when they're like nine, eight eight years old, kids with cell phones and social media. And so it is really, um, I think it's a confluence of the social media and the te- uh, the amount of immersive technology that they have, it's it's on demand all the time. Never, there's never an end of YouTube videos or social media feeds to watch, and it's the parenting style changes and people's you know values. And I think third, like you said, it or we didn't talk about this yet, but I'd like to bring it up is is food. Yes, I think it's a combination of all of those things, and it's leaving kids feeling what? What's going on, Doctor L? As far as how kids are feeling the epidemic rise of, of mental health issues amongst adolescents. Well, I love that you bring up the food issue because from my perspective, there are two, two basic and primal things that I'm seeing in my practice that are really falling by the wayside, sleep and food. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, for example, be working with parents who feel like they have an incredibly highly anxious child. And lo and behold, their child is getting four hours of sleep. Because their child comes home at nine o'clock after the eight million activities that they have after school. They're doing homework from nine to 11. Then they're kind of on their phone, maybe from like 11 to one. But guess what? Then they wake up at three and check their phone again and check Instagram. And then they wake up at, you know, six o'clock and try and get ready. And they slog out of, you know, the house with a Pop-Tart in hand, right? It's like, and I, we cannot, and I know you can speak to this so eloquently, Dr. Cole, we cannot underestimate the impact of that, that those two primary and basic elements are really creating a massive sense of dis-ease within our children, right? I mean, if, they, if, they're, if they're not appropriately nourished and they're not appropriately slept, their body is going to dysregulate anyway. And then you throw in hormones, you throw in puberty, you throw in middle school, you throw in, you know, your child actually is on Instagram and isn't getting as much likes as the other child and their frontal lobe isn't developed enough to actually handle what that feels like for them. You've got a disaster at your hand. And so I think, you know, from my perspective, I mean, listen, to me, it's absolutely bonkers that 20% of children are diagnosed with a mental illness. Like that to me is completely bonkers. And we have a problem there. And I think that we're looking at the wrong things. I think oftentimes clinicians or, you know, just the lay lay people that are reading those headlines, you know, one in five children diagnosed with a mental illness say, oh my gosh, the world is just too hard on them. Like, oh my gosh, it's just so stressful out there. And I really think that we're not taking a look at, whoa, what are 
what are we doing as parents to contribute to this um, in a way that is setting our child up to not be able to tolerate the woes and the rigors of life, which guess what there are because life is hard. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I know you can, I mean, you, you and your wife really work hard to feed your children the right things. I mean, and you grew up with that. And we slept and there's yeah. stuff in the house that I, like, I, I want to be more strict around the food, but my wife said, look, we got to be careful because they'll go the other way when they're not in the house. So they got to have access to it. So it's not so forbidden, like the forbidden fruit. Right. So it's definitely cleaner than 99% of the homes, but, but it could be salad only. We can't take it there. <laughs> As I listen though, I mean, I definitely overschedule our kids, but I'm listening and I'm thinking I do it. I do the wrestling. I do the soccer for the girls. We do Mandarin and math. I'm trying to fill holes. So, and then we do, we're, we're not Amish at all. I'm, I'm further away from the Amish than you are when you guys are, but the holes, they do get to use their phones if they're not doing homework. So I just feel like the phone battle, I would lose. I'm going to lose that battle. And so they're going to, they're, they're going to train physically really hard. They're going to have access to really good food and they got to learn another language. I mean, that's, that's the way we're doing it. I think Joe, you and I are a good example of sort of that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be one way or look one way for any single parent. Right. And I, you and I just had this conversation on, you know, at your kitchen table two weeks ago, where I said to you, you know, well, how do you negotiate this? Right. Where like you do live a life where your children, you know, are exposed to a lot of things that other children are not exposed to. And so how do you, when you can provide for your children virtually anything, how do you make sure that you're living by the things that we talked about in this book? And your answer was very simple. You manufacture difficulty. You manufacture adversity for them when they don't have it. Yeah. It's something that you talk about in the book and it, you, it's what it was one of the most Googled terms. And we mentioned it in this conversation is resilience. Why do you think it's being Googled so much? And why, what's the connection to parenting that we're talking about here? Well, let me, let me take a stab at answering that. Let's go back 150 years, exactly the way it was, except let's make sure, let's make believe Google existed. So we're back 150 years horses, maybe carriages, everything's exactly like it was 100 years ago, except you have access to Google. What do you think the most search term then would be? It would be like comfort. <laughs> Everybody would want comfort, a couch, Netflix. <laughs> and, and, I, and we would be having the same discussion on the other end of the spectrum saying, people need more comfort. They need a little less disease. We gotta get them in the house a little more, staying outside. You know, 20 hours a day building the railroads is just not not that healthy. And so it's gone the other way. Mm-hmm. We're so damn soft. We're a bunch of snowflakes. I know I'm not supposed to use that. We're like, that's the problem. So, of course, of course, we're Googling resilience because we want to inch a little bit to what it was like 150 years ago, a little towards the Amish. Right. We want to be able to deal with some of the adversity that life throws our way. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. So what's the connection and how, it's a big question, but what's the connection with parenting and what's the first thing that parents can start doing to build resilient children that are 
having trouble. And I think a lot of adults are having problems too with resilience because of the amount of comfort that we tend to have in our culture. You got to do hard stuff and you got to be, you know, you got to be responsible with it. I mean, Dr. L just said it. We spoke, her and I spoke about it. It's just manufacturing some adversity in their life. Going on a long swim, wear a life jacket. I dropped the kids off one day, my little one and my middle one, call it seven years old and 13, four miles from home. I said, I'll see you home. What do you mean? We don't know. Figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. It'd be hard to abduct two of them. 13 year old is going to look out for the little one. My wife was like, where, where are the kids? They're walking home, walking home from where I dropped them off. Four miles. Do they know the way to get home? No. Do they have a phone? No, they got to figure it out. And, and, you know, Dr. L, you might say, Oh, Joe, you're nuts. We don't want to recommend that. But like the kids have to do some hard stuff. We've moved all around the world. I know that's not easy for people, but like Dr. L just moved from Texas uh, to Colorado. Like moving is really difficult for kids yeah. and families. So move. Another language is really difficult for kids and families. So learn another language. I can't speak enough about wrestling or martial arts. Like, oh my God, you want some discipline? You want to do some hard stuff? The kids should get beat up every once in a while. That's good for them. Mm-hmm. So what used to happen to me when I was growing up. Like mm-hmm. everybody's got to get a little, you know, beating. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll, I'll answer that perhaps from a more clinical perspective. I think so for me, actually where it starts is with self-awareness because I think parents right now, especially like they feel all of these things, they feel overwhelmed. They don't really necessarily, if they do a really good gut check with themselves, feel like they're doing a good job. And listen, I think too, like we've even gotten so sensitive that we can't say you're not really doing a great job as a parent. Like it's okay to, it's okay to say that. Like, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it's definitely, you know, if I have parents in my office that are clearly in my opinion, setting their child up for success, I will be honest and say, listen, things need to change. Like, cause you're actually, if you were doing a great job, you wouldn't be in my office. Right. And so I think, I think, first of all, we need to understand that like through self-awareness and self-reflection, we can take a look at the areas where we're making it just a touch more easier on our child. For Mm -hmm. example, do your child, does your child put the dishes in the dishwasher? Right there. That's a simple thing that your child can do to start to build some of their own skills of doing something on their own. When your child comes downstairs and says, hey, mom, can I have a snack? Do you say, sure, go ahead and look in the fridge and pick a fruit or a vegetable? right? Like there's so many things, so many just small little things. Hey mom, I forgot my jacket. Would you mind running back in the house and getting it? No, you can go get it yourself. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I understand that there might be parents right now that are like, oh, that sounds so harsh, you know, but literally like it's those little things that are tremendous gestures of building resilience and self-reliance and independence in your child. You know, Mm -hmm. if your child comes downstairs and says, Hey mom, I need help with this homework before you immediately jump in and help them with the homework, ask them, tell me where you think you've gone wrong. Right? Like there are just these little things and all of that starts with self-awareness. It just starts with asking yourself as a parent, where are the small, minute, perhaps minuscule and meaningless gestures where I am stepping in, where if I just took a tiny step backward, my child might actually begin to develop these skills. And you might, here's the thing, it's not going to be easy and you're going to get complaints. Like oftentimes I'll have parents come back into my office and they're like, well, we tried that thing where we just fed everybody the same thing for dinner and it didn't go well. And I'm like, oh, okay, what happened? Well, they only ate a few bites. Oh, 
Okay. And then did they like combust? Like did the world blow up? Like what else happened? And they were like, well, I mean, but we just felt so bad. So I, I made a Mac and cheese. Okay. All right. Well, let's start again. Right. You know, so I think it's, it's just for me, especially with parents, it always starts with self-reflection and Mm self-awareness and really asking like, where am I turning to comfort when it's actually necessary for Mm. me to turn towards whether you call it adversity, whether you call it discomfort, whether you call it pain, whatever you call it, call it something. Yeah. Something that comes to mind, you know, my kids are older, 15, 12. I mean, at what point come seeing my son, even my daughter, it's like, okay, we all could do better. And that's a great point that you said, Dr. L of not shaming any parents. We all want to be the best we can be totally and being teachable and, and, and doing better as we learn more. Is there a point I want to be the, the best I could be for my kids. So is it too late to do even better at my kid's age, like the things we're talking about today. No way. Mm-mm. No way. I mean, Dr. L will give you the, the clinical answer, but like, no way. I will tell you this on the farm up in Vermont where Spartan was started. I get a lot of very, very wealthy billionaire parents that send me their kids. And we've had a lot of kids come through. They're 20, 25, like they're harder to work on. Hard to teach an old dog new tricks. 14, 15, we have a shot. I mean, think about all the kids that went into the military in World War I and the age they were, and they go through boot camp and they completely transform. I don't want you know people listening or watching this to say, oh my God, he's, he's, he's promoting a military life. No, I'm just saying like 12, 13, 14, 15, we got a shot. 22, it becomes a little harder. Not impossible, but it's harder. Dr. Mm-hmm. L? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would for sure say, you know, when your kids leave the house, it's a little bit more difficult, though absolutely not impossible. I mean, make no mistake that at one, at any given time, really, my my practice, you know, can have college students and their parents inside, and we're talking the whole thing, right? I do think high school actually is an incredibly important time because this is when parents, from my perspective, really, you know, and again, I'm probably going to get you know, rig to cuss coals for this, but really actually do the most damage because their children are really able to now understand what the indirect messages that their parent is sending them mean, right? So for example, if their child comes home and didn't do well on a project and all of a sudden parent is on the phone with teacher trying to remedy this, the child is now old enough and has a little bit more sort of reasoning skills to really hear what mom and dad are saying in that moment, which is you can't handle this. I've got to step in. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and a message like that, though, well-intentioned by the parent, all they want to do is help. All they want to do is make it better is, is incredibly hurtful to the child and to the child's belief system about what they can handle, what they can't handle. And Jill and I talk about this all the time that, listen, you're, you're, you're in, you're raising adults. Like eventually this child is going to go to college. Eventually this child is then, or maybe not, maybe start their own business, maybe do something else, but eventually go out into the workforce where, where, you know, life is hard and there's struggle and it's difficult and it's not always easy. And do you at 35 want to be calling, you know, your child's supervisor and, you know, trying to make concessions for why they didn't show up to work on time, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think like from that perspective, 
high school is a particularly vulnerable time where we have to be incredibly careful with the messages that we're sending our children because they are they are old enough to perceive it from a different lens and mm-hmm. it can be a real struggle for them when they do. I mean, I talk about this in the book that oftentimes, you know, I don't, I never hear high school students come into my office and say, I'm so glad parents, my parents protected me from everything. Like they really set me up to be successful. I never hear that, but I often hear like my parents never let me fail. They never let me do anything on my own. They overscheduled everything for me. They put everything on the calendar and here I am going away to college and I'm terrified because I have no idea how to make friends because they always put me in something to make friends for me. I have no idea how to create my own schedule because they always did it for me. Like that's what I hear. So I think we have to be really careful as parents to sort of future think a little bit towards the adulthood of our child rather than just pandering Mm -hmm. them in the now with immediate gratification. Yeah, fully. Public goods is the one stop for sustainable, high quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, cleaning products, like everything. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of the premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I use Public Goods for everything. I love their cleaning products. We use them at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. I use them in my home. Clean ingredients, clean for your health instead of some toxic cleaning product. Clean for the environment, clean for your pets. So freaking good. And they use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. I've worked out an amazing deal just for my listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again and again that they're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Will Cole or use code Will Cole at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Will Cole to receive $15 off your first order. Again, that's publicgoods.com slash Will Cole. You all know if you listen to the podcast that I am a fan of intermittent fasting for many different reasons. It's a great way to lower inflammation, support gut health, support metabolic flexibility, brain function. I could go on and on about the exciting science around different types of fasting. Reaching your intermittent fasting goals can be a challenge sometimes due to hunger, mental focus, deep in energy, or emotional hanger. If you know about hangry, it's hungry and angry's evil child. We don't like hangry. And that's why I'm such a fan of the Fast Bar from my friends at El Nutra. The Fast Bar is the only bar scientifically formulated for intermittent fasting. It's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, it's made without soy or dairy, and it has plant-based protein. It's a keto-friendly, nut-based nutrition bar and can be incorporated into intermittent fasting and the ketogenic lifestyle or low-carb lifestyle 
If you're plant-based, gluten-free, or if you just like clean eating and want something easy, convenient, and delicious and healthy for you. It's available in five different flavors, nuts and honey, the cacao chip, the dark cocoa, the lemon berry, and the blueberry acai. My favorite has to be the nuts and honey, but they're all good. It's available at Sprouts and FastBar.com and Amazon. So all you have to do is use code WILLCOLE for an additional 10% off the already discounted products at FastBar.com. Again, that's code WILLCOLE, all one word, W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E, for an additional 10% off the already discounted products at FastBar.com. So go over to FastBar.com, use the code WILLCOLE, and try the nuts and honey. Maybe get a few different flavors. Tell me what you like. You will not be disappointed. I think about like a lot of my peers, a lot of other parents of kids that I, that I see so much of what we do as parents is driven, I think by fear, yes. uh, fear of them being disappointed or fear of them being hurt or, you know, whatever it is, maybe. But it's interesting that the dichotomy of seeing so many parents make decisions out of fear, but also in the realm of technology, there's sort of this obliviousness to what's going on there? I mean, what's going on there? And maybe my question more pointedly is what, how can fear impact our kids when we're parenting from that place? I'll go quick. And then you, and then you put a fine point on, on all the things I say, I, I give you like the Flintstone version <laughs> and Dr. L, Dr. L gives you the uh, Jetsons version, but like, <laughs> I, I suspect, I suspect the fear is how do I look as a parent, right? Like, like true, how's true. this going to make me look? How, People are going to be thinking I'm a bad parent or I'm this or that, or, or, or I'm going to, my ego is going to get stroked if my kid gets into school. So let me pay, pay off the school and, and some, right. Like, so, and I had, we had a guy on a podcast that got in trouble. He went to jail actually over that, that whole scandal, that varsity blue scandal. And he was really refreshing to talk to on the podcast because he said, when I realized it's not about me, it has nothing to do with the parents. It's really about the kid. It's really about raising, you know, adults. I screwed the whole thing up. Like the, the parents said, right? Like the guy said, I, I screwed the whole thing up. I was, I was parenting from a place of, of fear at how I, he, he was top of his game, chairman of a law firm, went to the best school, like go down the list. He checked every single box. And so this was another achievement. My kid got into the school and, and he realized it has nothing to do with that. It's like really about the kid. It's not about me. And so I don't think fear has a place because we shouldn't be fearful or like it should be the kid. Mm -hmm. You should give the kid the tools, as Dr. L said, so when they leave the house, they can manage their life on their own. Mm -hmm. I'll piggyback off that a little bit. I mean, I definitely think to Joe's point, I think many parents are are very worried about sort of how they will look and not, and, and, and listen, it goes deeper than just like, I want to look like a good parent. What it really goes to is I want to belong. I, I want to be among others, right? Like we are driven by community. We are driven by connection. We are driven by, in some ways, tribalism. That's why it works so well right now. And unfortunately it's a little dysfunctional, but I do think so. And so there's this, there's this desire to be along and, and fit in with everybody. And so if you stand out to your point, like if you're the parent that doesn't give your child the iPhone, right? If you're the parent whose child is acting out in the restaurant, and so you stand up and you say, we are leaving now. 
oh my gosh, she's so out of line. You know, like that's super scary. Listen, Mm -hmm. I've done that a lot of times because I'm not going to sit there and have my child ruin the meal for other parents, right? I don't care how I look. Listen, if you want to think that I'm, you know, an unhinged parent because my child can't pull it together at a meal and we're at a nice restaurant and I say, then we're not having this meal right now and we're leaving, you know, to me, that's a boundary. To Mm -hmm. me, that's, you don't get to enjoy something really nice if you can't handle it, right? But I do think that many parents are terrified. They don't want to be accosted. They don't don't want to be seen as a bad parent. I don't want to be seen as a bad parent. Neither does Joe. I'm sure neither do you. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to work against that. But I think the other fear that comes up for me often is that, listen, we fear, and this is, this is so primal and organic and wired within us. We fear that our child is going to be in a threatening situation. And that to us, I mean, we want to protect our cub. You know, we want to step in. I mean, that's the like when I see my child cry, the first thing I want to say is like, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, get back out there. You know, so I do think that we fear that we're going to somehow hurt our child or that our child is going to be hurt. And that's where, again, Joe and I really sort of harp on this idea that like, but you, you have to choose the hard route, you know? So if it's harder for your child, for example, and I, this happened all the time in my practice, especially when I worked with adolescents who had eating disorders, you know, parents would drive an hour and a half to get the kind of pasta that their child would eat because they would be terrified that if they didn't get that pasta, then the child wouldn't eat. Right. And so unfortunately that fed the eating disorder more than it actually served the recovery. But I think, but parents are terrified. They just, they're, they're scared of, I don't want to hurt my child. I don't want to put my child in in a tough situation. I don't want them to hurt. And the more we talk about this in the book, the more distance that we get from discomfort, the more that any tiny little smidge of discomfort feels enormous, right? Mm. It's like Joe talks about this with cold showers. It's like, if you're taking a really, 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 really hot shower, and then all of a sudden you just even do lukewarm, it feels cold, right? And so your body isn't used to it. Well, the same goes for discomfort. The more distance we get from things that are difficult from us or challenging from us, then when we experience something that's just even barely difficult, it feels astronomical and overwhelming. So from my perspective, it's that fear of pain too. It's not, it's not just sort of the fear of we'll be rejected by the mom tribe or the dad tribe, but it's also fear that our child will be in pain. And what, what parent wants that? Nobody mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Except I, for maybe Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and you call, I mean, the, that's a, there's a reason why you call this parenting style, make it harder parenting because it's, yeah. it's, it's harder for the parent too. It's so much more convenient to have technology nanny your children. It's so much more convenient to you mentioned mowing the lawn. I mean, that's happened to me this past summer. It's like, yeah, my son's good at it, but I could do it faster. I could fix the things that I know. But I know in the long run, he has to learn for himself how to make this better. And if I just do it for him, he's never going to learn. So, so much of this, I think, really comes down to, like you said, to the parents where it's, yeah. it's, it's they need to be okay with, Go, it's like going to the gym, going to the gym is not easy all the time. Showing up and being consistent is not easy, but you get produce great results. If you're consistent with that, I think so many parents, they just don't like to be consistent with the tough things and that's impacting the kids negatively. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say from my perspective that like, you know, and this is why 
in the book itself, Joe and I felt very strongly that we needed to sort of first and foremost start off with the parent taking a look at themselves, yeah, right? right? Because like so often in my practice, my, the parents will want to parent from a particular position. For example, they'll want to they'll want to set boundaries with their child, but in doing some you know self reflection and deep diving, they can't even set boundaries with themselves, you know? So it's like the parents really have to develop these skills. And I know Joe, that you see this all the time that like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know, tell your children to eat green foods. If what you're putting in your mouth is a pop tart. Yeah. yeah you know, I, there are moments um, during our existence in our house where I am not modeling the perfect behavior. And I'll give you the one time that happens is my kids um, will have to fast for a day or two because they've got wrestling season coming up and they need to be a few pounds less and I'm still eating and they're not. <laughs> and so <laughs> my, I have friends that say, Hey, if they're not eating, I'm not eating, but I almost want to make it tougher on them. And it's like, Hey, we're continuing with our life. If you want that bad enough, that's what it requires good luck. I hope, I hope you're able to do it, but I, but I agree a thousand percent. You have to model. They're watching you. They're watching us and you don't have to even say anything. They're watching what we're doing. And that's, and that's the way they're learning. Mm -hmm. I love this conversation. All right. But for both of you, I'm excited to have you for this part of the podcast. As you know, it's called the art of being well. And this part is your art of being well. This is Joe, Dr. L's art of being well. We're going to go over so I want to pick your brain, basically. It's going to, we talk about parenting. Now we're going to talk about other aspects of wellness and some of it I'm sure will tie into parenting very much so. So are you guys up for this, this challenge? Let's do it. All right. I, I don't know. It sounds, I, honestly, I'm afraid. <laughs> you should be afraid, Joe. This is, this is going to be the <laughs> toughest thing you've done all day. First question, if you're stuck on a desert island and you're looking at survival, nutrient density, you had one food and one food only, what would that food be? Well, if it was a meal, I would go for a salad. I know Dr. L would do the same. Um, Finely chopped. <laughs> I'd I, I go a watermelon. If I, if I was on a desert, I'm about to head to the desert. I got to be in Abu Dhabi for a while in the empty quarter. I'd, I'd go with watermelon. Watermelon would keep me uh, hydrated. I'd, I'd be able to survive on watermelon for quite some time. Love it. Dr. L? Might go with an apple. Love it. Apple sauce, apple juice. Yeah, you get one apple only. But then you take this, you take the seed and you plant it and you've got a tree and you've got a, you know, hey, you've got a whole thing. Yeah. I like that thought. Well, any specific type of apple? What's your favorite kind? Oh, honey crisp. 100%. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, that's a real apple. That <laughs> it's not. It's the, it's, the, it's the sweetest apple out there. Probably. I will say. <laughs> All right. Completely opposite for both of you. One food for the rest of your life, purely on deliciousness, you could only eat that food. What would that food be? Eggplant parm. <laughs> really? I love eggplant parm. I, I, I even like, we found that vegan eggplant parm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I want eggplant parm rest of my life. <laughs> I'd get tired of it in about four days. Yeah. But, um, I haven't had it in a while. So. I love it. You know, I, I really, I mean, and people are probably going to roll their eyes, but to me, there really is nothing like an incredibly finely chopped, crispy, cold salad with avocado and like crunchy almonds and like all the things like every, every vegetable you can find. So you don't even know what's yet yeah, chickpeas, hearts of palm, artichoke hearts like that. And even the eggplant parm chopped into it. 
and that you could do it. It's a good that idea. That is, I mean, Joe and I just spent a long time together up at the farm. He's probably a lot smarter now because of it, but that is my go-to. I really, I mean, I just love a really good I'm, salad. I'm actually, I'm actually going to have a salad as soon as we get off this podcast. Love it. What's your favorite dressing? If you had to go to dressing, what would it be? Oh, well, I make my own where it's just um, like apple cider vinegar, white balsamic vinegar, a little bit of avocado oil, some, what is, the, I can't even think of it, the powder, the yeast, nutritional yeast. Oh, yeah, nutritional yeast, um, yeah. Like that's with a little bit of mustard. That's my favorite. I, I'd, go, I'd go with that. Maybe I'd add some lemon. Oh Good. yeah, lemon. Good stuff. All right, next question. What are two supplements that have been the biggest game changers for you personally? Oh, hang on. I'm going to, I could grab them for you, but, um, Spartan energy, it's going to sound like I'm giving you a plug Spartan no, energy, and Spartan energy, Spartan hydrate Two two pills that we came up with that are, that are, they're just game changers. Yeah. I remember talking to you about that on your podcast and you said like, I'm putting these out there because they help me. Like they are things that I, you're bringing something new to to the wellness world. What are the ingredients on them? Do you know? Can, can people- yeah, I mean, basically on, on the uh, Spartan Energy, it's raw plant, the roots, the leaves, everything ground up into a fine dust and then a green coffee bean plant, the roots, the leaves, everything ground up into a fine dust. And then on the hydrate, it's just the elements you know that, that we need, the, the magnesium, the potassium, the sodium, nothing else, no fillers. It's just compressed elements and that's it. Love it. Dr. L? Well, B12, I'm primarily plant-based in my diet. So like, that's really, really important for me. And then gosh, it'd be a tie. I mean, I, even though I'm outside all the time in Colorado, we're close to the sun. I feel like vitamin D is just critical. And then turmeric and curcumin. Those are, those are kind of my, that's my jam. That's, that's my trifecta right there. Love it. All right. What, for both of you, what are your, what's the latest biohack or wellness tool that you, that you're into, if you're into that sort of thing, Joe, I have, I have uh, this amazing new device. I'm going to show you guys that uh, literally it makes you younger, stronger, go to better. Like everything is better in your life. Wait till you see this. It's a kettlebell. I knew it. (laughs) An ancient kettlebell. Nice. That's amazing. How, what's the details of that? You said ancient. Is it, how old is it actually? Uh, it's, it's old. I got it out of Sparta. I don't know how old they used it for some form of training way back when. Wow. So yeah, I mean, that's my hack. Bringing the old new again. I mean, heavy, th- picking up heavy things. That's one way to great, to build resilience on many levels. No doubt about it. I got my kids in the garage. I got a hundred pound dumbbell. And my, my younger son is like, dad, I can't lift it. I said, that's the point. You have to work on lifting it. Yeah. There you go. Dr. L. No, I really, I have to say, I don't really have one. I feel like I'm going to say something that isn't a bio, isn't even close to a biohack, but I feel like it's, it's made since I, since I've done it, it's made my life exponentially better. And that is turning the notifications off on my phone. (laughs) Because I feel like it's, I'm not waiting for anything. Like, I'm not like, oh, when is the ping? When is this? You know, it's at any of anything, email, text message, social media, notifications are all off on my phone. To me, that like keeps me biologically grounded, I guess. Yeah, it's so good. Airplane mode. I mean, do you, how, how, how far are you going into this? You 
all notifications are off. That, that's the way that mine is because I can't have them on when I'm no. consulting patients. It's too No, I can't either. Well, and I, the way that I liken it is like, especially with Instagram, you know, if, if for example, you, you have notifications on and a comment pops up, it's like, if you're walking down the street on any given day, are you voluntarily asked to be punched in the face? No. <laughs> and so why would you like voluntarily invite a comment that's incredibly unkind or rude or throws mm-hmm. like it just, to me, it just, it just grounds me. It, I feel like, you know, it, it, it eliminates like the, the crazy from my life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it just yeah. is so helpful. No, I, I definitely see that. I, I, I look at people on my team and I look, I, my team's amazing, but I, I, for me personally, if I hear pinging and yep. notifications, it's constantly pulling me from the present moment and yep. distracting me. It yep. is definitely a game changer for me. All right. Next question what, for both of you. What's the best piece of advice you've received and who gave it to you? Mm, I, Dr. All, I know you're going to say the advice I've given you. <laughs> oh, best piece of advice. I got a, a mob boss neighbor when I was a kid literally the boss of Bonanno crime family gave me three things. He said, number one, I was cleaning his swimming pool. I was pre-teens. And he said, number one, on time is late, right? Number two, go above and beyond. If you're going to clean the pool and that's what I'm paying you for, you got to clean the shed and straighten up the lawn furniture, do everything, even though you're not getting paid for that. And number three, he said, don't ask for money. If you, mm-hmm. if you have value, you get paid. And I've, I've operated my whole life with those three lessons from the most unlikely source of uh, sages. It works. Good mm-hmm. stuff. I had a supervisor my last year of graduate school tell me that the right way to do therapy was to not do therapy. Basically, what she was saying is just be present. You mm-hmm. don't have to perform. You don't have to perfect. You don't have to, you know, so to just be with your client and that would be enough. Good stuff. All right. Last question. What's obviously everybody's going to get 10 rules for resilience for families, but for you personally, what is the, a book that you've read in the past year? That's, that's really been a game changer for you. Got you thinking in a new way. Um, yeah. Mm. Joe. What book in the last year, I would just say one of my favorite books is Atlas Shrugged by Ann Rand. I love, I love Shogun. I love the endurance about Ernest Shackleton. I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty stodgy and old school. <laughs> you Dr. are old school. I think, gosh, you know, honestly, it was probably a book by David Engelman called Some, which was little short story vignettes about life after death. Um, or what happens after you die, just sort of like it, just all these little ideas of what could happen. And I think that like what, one of the things that he talked about was, you know, what if, what if after we die, our life is chunked into things that we've done. So for example, if we've done 8,000 burpees, which I know you, Joe, you've done more then you had to do them all at one time in our, the afterlife. And if you've hugged for a total of 652 minutes and you had to do that at one time, So I appreciated that book just because it made me think a little bit more about time spent here and like, what do I really want to do and how do I really want to contribute? What have you spent 29,000 hours on Instagram? You had to do that all at once. (laughs) Exactly. I know. But it's like, that's the kind of thing where you think about it and you're like, oh my gosh, or what if, yeah, what if I spend all this time on Netflix, you know, like how do I really want to be spending my time with people, hugging people? You know, I mean, it's, it's a great theory. So I love that book. I think he's a brilliant man. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll put the notes to everything we've talked about in the show notes so that people can get the links for, for it all. My friends, thank you so much for being, being here and teaching me so much. Thanks for having us. You guys are awesome. I will see you on the course. See ya. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Bye, guys. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Rebecca. Rebecca asks, hi, Dr. Cole, what are the supplements that you personally take every day? Well, if you follow me on Instagram, I post about these a lot. It's all based on individual goals, right? I mean, that's the heart of functional medicine. It's bioindividuality. But there are some core things that pretty much everybody living in modern times need to be taking. And that's mostly what I take. I actually don't take that many supplements, relatively speaking. I focus on food first. And as I'm always talking about on this show and I'm talking about with my patients is that you cannot supplement your way out of a poor diet. So your food and your meals should be your multivitamin in many ways. But with that said, therapeutically, we can target and get therapeutic dosages of specific things that maybe our food isn't as sufficient in and getting where we need to be to improve numbers or improve symptom outcomes or just optimize how I want to feel. So I take a methylated B vitamin every day. I have a double MTHFR gene variant at the C677T gene variant location. So specifically, that's a like basically a location at the MTHFR gene, which codes for an enzyme that helps to donate something called methyl donors throughout the body to support methylation, which we need for detoxification and lowering inflammation level, specifically something called homocysteine metabolism or bringing that inflammatory protein called homocysteine down. So I have a double gene variant at the more problematic gene location, which many people do and they don't know. By itself, it's not inherently bad, but you definitely want to be supporting your body through nutrition and supplementations when needed to have your help your body handle stress and support these pathways that my body and many other people's body uh, aren't, isn't as optimal as it could be. And that's why this gene variant is associated with different autoimmune issues and inflammatory problems and anxiety and just a whole plethora of issues. If you want to learn more about MTHFR, just check out drwillcole.com. In short, I take a methylated B vitamin. I take a D3, K2, 5,000 IUs of, of D3 paired with the vitamin K2, really important two fat soluble vitamins. I take a beef liver capsule as well as sort of as, as a multivitamin because I'm not eating enough of that stuff. I don't really like liver. So I'm eating that, uh, which is the next best thing. There's no replication for food here, but it's the next best thing. And I'm practicing what I teach my patients. And I take a probiotic. I take some liver support as well because I have some different detoxification gene variants as well that I'm looking at this stuff through labs and tracking it. And that's what I do 
with my patients. I take a turmeric to support inflammation levels. I take a magnesium every day. Most people are magnesium deficient. I take a blend of magnesium. Honestly, I take, and I'm not just saying this because we have it on the site, I take the collection, which is the core foundational supplements that we made this because we got asked so many times over the years, what are the basic core foundational things people should take? And that's why we made the collection. So it's the nine core supplements that most people should be taking every day to feel great, have optimal energy, optimal digestion, optimal hormone balance, and lowered inflammation levels. Does everybody need to take all nine of them? Not necessarily, but those are some core things that most people are going to benefit from, from taking most, if not all, of the nine. So you can check out the collection at drwillcole.com, Rebecca, and everybody else that's, that wants to learn more. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.